I know this song is different, but I've heard it before. And, like, the I, I don't. It's the beginning part right there. We did the intro. I mean, I'm unless you're like thinking of a different song. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm a Crazy Train. No, or... I'm not thinking Crazy Train. Oh well. Um. Okay, I have a, a request. Okay. Uh, from my uh, from one of my coworkers, I do this thing where I, I do a very very quick version of some of the sciencey stuff that I that uh, that I talk about um, every Friday in, in our little uh, stand up meeting, um, like mm-hmm. two three minutes. Like it right. Uh, in fact, th- this this last meeting, what I showed off was uh, the the latching um, magnet. Oh, the poly magnets. Mm-hmm. And uh, when it I mentioned. Their mind? Yeah, oh, definitely. When I mentioned that um, they print the magnetic domains, uh, I got asked, what are magnetic domains? And so I was like, okay, how do I do this in two minutes? Because the explanation for what magnetic domain, do you know? I, I, I mean, I think I can describe it pretty quickly, but I mean... Maybe not on the level you want to, but I mean, just talk about north and south, and like they're able to put down each little piece of magnet in a whatever orientation they want to. Right, but that doesn't describe what magnetic domains are. Well, okay, but that's how they're making the polymagnets. Yes, but I think what what I'm trying to get across is is is, a, a, is an explanation for magnetism essentially uh, in materials. All right, so like the polymagnet, and I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I'm providing context to work towards an answer in this conversation. So the you know the polymagnets. This is uh, I bought Greg's a couple polymagnets last year for Christmas, and these are super cool. They're super cool. One of the best presents I ever got. If you go to uh, Smarter Every Day's YouTube channel and search for polymagnet, or if you just search for polymagnet on YouTube, you'll probably find the video. And there are these magnets that are 3D printed. And basically, these engineers, they have the coolest job in the world because they're coming up with, if you can determine on a surface of a disc or on a cube, in a very high resolution, what is a positive pole and what is a negative pole, you can do some really neat things. You can change the dynamics of how the magnets seem to work. Right, because like you, can, it, it's about like overall force, uh, like positive, negative, and sums of things. So like they have like soft closed latches, mm-hmm. which are create. Well, the latch is simple, right? So I'll start talking about a latching one. So you have two magnets when they're locked together. You cannot pull them apart, but you can twist them. Mm-hmm. And when you twist them, say the the force of their attraction drops by eighty percent. So now you can pull them apart. So that's the like first generation the latching. Simple, yeah, the latch. So now they came up with like soft close. So when the magnets come together, they they pull themselves together until they're about two millimeters or so. Yeah, I was gonna say four, but you know, like two yeah. to four millimeters apart, and then they repel. So they sit in that they hover from each other. They're not hovering off gravity, but they're hovering from each other. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. And then when you turn them. They snap together, and yeah. you can't pull them apart. And when you turn them back, they hover at two to four inches, and then you can pull them apart. So imagine these in a cabinet drawer or something. You close the door, and they get attracted enough that it gets into its attraction domain. 
but it doesn't slam because it gets to the repulsion hovering part and then you turn the knob and it, it secures the door. You know, that's just one of the examples of a soft close uh, polymag. And uh, yeah, that, that was cool. So, okay, so here's the way that I was thinking about. So, like, as soon as I started thinking about, well, okay, well, then I have to talk about electron spin. I got to talk about how dipoles work. And I'm like, okay, no, that's not good. It's, it's going to take too long. Because, I, yeah, I mean, I want to, like, the, you know, the, 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 the teacher in me wants to, wants to describe the whole process. So I don't even know of how I would define a mag domain i'm not sure if we're talking on the same level okay here. well there's a piece of paper there's some more black sabbath man um okay uh, uh or i can play some black sabbath while you start talking about okay. diopoles sure no i'm not gonna talk about i'm gonna talk about making a domain sure I need, and now I need to. Well, I have a piece of paper. I don't have any any writing implement, unless I want to write with a screwdriver, and that's not going to work. Okay. Um, you can just think of of a, of a magnetic domain very simply if if you can picture some sort of foam, for example. And so you have these kind of like cells in the foam that are these you know the bubbles. And just so it, it kind of, or it maybe looks like scales on a fish. Something like that. Just okay. some sort of, you know, arrangement. And in, in these cells, um, they're, the, the magnetic fields are aligned. So all these arrows are pointing one way in each cell. But if it's, a, um, if it's, not, a mag, if it's not a magnetized material, like a magnet, if it's like iron is an example of a material that can be a ferromagnet, but sometimes isn't, right? Not all iron is, is a magnet. Works, works. I mean, it's all attracted to magnets, but it's not all working as an active magnet. Because a lot of these times, right. these domains not, are pointing in different directions. Adjacent domains are not aligned, so right. they kind of neutralize themselves. Exactly. All the, the basic combination of all domains are neutralized. But if they all point in one direction, mm -hmm. then you get a, a, a combined thing, and that, add, that becomes additive, and then you get this, this force that, that arises out of it. Speaking of Real quick aside, I took apart that persistence of vision clock that you sent, you know, that I cleaned when we cleaned out your old apartment. Mm -hmm. The reason it stopped working, I think the permanent magnet in there weakened. Oh, really? Because I was like looking through the whole thing, I was troubleshooting it. Um, there was um, a little sensor in there to make sure it was fitting, and that, that must have crashed and bent at one point. I fixed that, but still, it wasn't working quite right. And I'm pretty sure the permanent magnet that's on the arm weakened. Oh. Interesting, and just the way that it's put together, it's not something that yeah, I super, can't expect to replace. Super cheap. I don't remember. I mean, the the circuit board was two thousand three, so I don't know when you bought it. Neither do I. It was in there for God knows how long. Right? I mean, it's, it's at least ten years. Yeah. Um. So I mean, the explanation for why these domains happen requires you to understand a bit of, of quantum mechanics. But if you don't get into those domains, essentially, I can I can use this sort of diagram to say, okay, there are these like little cells, and they all have magnets. They all have a sort of magnetic attraction that points in different mm -hmm. directions. And then if if the material is made such that they all align, then you get a field that comes out that extends outside of it. Right. Sure. Uh, the so another thing that's sort of interesting about this. Is you can 
you can heat up the material to a particular temperature for the material. That's the Curie temperature, where these domains will then get, will then stop being aligned. They, they will then rearrange themselves. So that's what. So basically, decrystallize. Basically, and yeah. And then if you put them in a magnetic field, they'll line up. And then if you cool it while it's in a magnetic field, they'll recrystallize mm-hmm. as a permanent magnet. More or less, yeah. And that's kind of how the 3D printer for polymagnets work, right? I mean, it's kind of patented. They don't talk yeah, about right. it. But, I mean, that's the way it's got to work. When they're extruding the, the ferrous material, it has to be in a magnetic field. Mm-hmm. That, that's what, that, that makes sense, right? Because then you can align it and, yeah. and you can do all the adjustments you need. So you heat, you heat the material up to its carry temperature. You get it so it, it's magnetic. Well, it's actually beyond that, right? I mean, to actually extrude yeah, right, it, it has yeah, to yeah. be its melting temperature. Right. sure. So that's, like... Yeah, there, there's there's the crystallization. I, I'm not sure where Curie falls into this realm, but like for plastics, right? You have well, a crystal. I mean, you have a crystallization temperature, but that is not your melting temperature. Your melting right. Temperature yeah. No, it's higher. it's a it's a it's a phase change, but it's a different it's a different phase it's a different type of phase change, mm-hmm. but it's a phase change in the material. So it's a it's another variation the material right. can go under. But I mean, no, it makes sense, right? You have to um, if you're printing a polymagnet, you have to melt the material. You have to extrude it, and you have to keep that piece in the magnetic field until it cools below its crystallization temperature, or its curie temperature, one or the other, whichever. And then you can move on to the next piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have to make sure you do that in a way so that the magnetic fields of the different things that you're building don't disturb each other too much. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. There's probably some tolerances there, and yeah. failures. They probably have, they probably have um, DMZs between between domains. Mm-hmm. You know, they probably. I mean, it's small, but they probably have a, a washout period. You know, area between the domains. So when they're actually setting the next piece, it doesn't get twisted by the neighbor. So I could get into on this show, the stuff that I can't get into on the. So, I'm curious about, like, how did you answer the guy's question? Well, no, I said I would answer next week. Oh, next week. Okay. Um, But I can answer the question of why the domains form um, by talking about electrons. So, when you think about electrons... No, no, just just tell him, like, I see... No, no, I'm not going to tell him about it. Insane clown posse, man. How do make this work? (laughs) We're probably going to show a picture of the insane clown posse. Um, <laughs> electrons have uh, all all charged particles are not mag- are, are dipoles. They're not monopoles. So mm-hmm. they have some internal kind of magnetization to them. They have a north and a south pole, and it includes fundamental particles like electrons. So. The electrons align them, can align themselves in, in, in particular directions. And for most of the time, most materials, this sort of averages out to nothing. Uh, and when you think about when you're building up electron shells and stuff like that, they're, you know, they mostly average out, or there's one or so. But in, in, in materials like iron, there can be a, a, you know, as many as four elect- sort of empty electrons in different shells. And so when you think about the way that when you're taught how electrons fill, okay, well, then 
you got to have one spinning one way and the other spinning another way to fill up one shell and one spinning another way to fill up other shells right they go they prepare itself and then different energy levels and causes different shapes and stuff you may have seen something like this mm-hmm. but in some materials because of uh some interesting dynamics with what's called hyperfine transitions there's a more the, the the situation where it is at the at the larger electron shells the ones outer the outer shells tend to be it's less energetic for them to be for for the spins of the electrons to be aligned than to, to not aligned so there are like four valence electrons in iron and those are going to tend to be aligned in the less energetic situation. Okay. So you then have this additive thing, and then it gets... When iron crystallizes, you get these domains that come out of it. Mm-hmm. And then if you get them all do, all heated in the right direction, then that turns into the the actual magnetized system. So it's really just the the matter of electrons pointing in a direction, but then all aligned. Right, but these are you talk about spins when you're saying point pointing. Or? So and it's it, it's it's interesting because it's it's really the electron dipole moment, but it's it's very okay. Okay. it's uh, it and spin are are very similar concepts, um, and uh, spin is yeah spin and dipole moment are more or less the same thing. So you can think about them as the same thing. But it's another way to think about it is you can think of the electric field of an electron as sort of shaped like a football. So does the um, come with the valence electrons? And those are the outer shell, is that? Or yeah, that's the outer shell, right? And they're less energetic if they're all aligned. Is that like dependent on like the number? Of valence electrons it's, in an outer it, shell or something it, it, like that. It's, it's real complicated. Like I said, it has to do with hyperfine. Uh, from what I from, you know, I'm asking you chemistry questions that I haven't thought about in yeah almost thirty years. And I'm so. and I'm telling you <laughs> what I kind of understand. I believe it has to do with hyperfine transitions. And so, okay, with hyperfine structure. And so, what does that mean? There's something called fine structure. So when we get into uh, the way that uh, electrons fit in the different shells, some of the spins will have different energy levels, just slightly okay. based on how they're spinning with respect to, to the shells, and that's called fine structure. And, that, and that's responsible for things like emission lines. Uh, and then there's hyperfine structure, which is nuclear interaction between the nuclear magnetic field and the electrons. So it's really complicated. Okay. Because you're talking about the the way that this that, that the magnetic field of the nucleus interacts with the magnetic fields of the electrons in the great magnetic field in the in the big magnetic. That's what just oh wow. just said. There you go. Uh, so so okay. One of the cool things about about spin is um, uh, how it's quantized and 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 that is where the really interesting stuff about quantum mechanics comes in. Because when you think about spin, you usually think about, if you're thinking about angular rotation of any kind, you usually think about, okay, it's rotating around some sort of axis, right? It's like you, you can imagine a ball spinning around an axis. So the thing about spin is you can only measure spin 
in some angle. So you can form some, like, if I, I can measure spin to be uh, uh, up to, to, to me, vertical, as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned. So I can measure something, so say I shoot some particles through, and the spin is either going to be measured as up or down. Regardless of how I, if I choose to measure them you know, sideways, I'm only going to measure aligned with this or not aligned, which is the same thing as on an up or down. I never measure halfway. I never measure a quarter way. I only measure up or down. It's as if it's spinning in any direction I choose. And right. it's deciding which way to so do why is it. So why is it binary? Why is it on or off? Why is it up or down? It's quantum mechanics. Yeah. But a, a way to think about it, like I said, is to think of the electron not as, not as quite a, a, a circle, but more like a football shape in terms of its magnetic field. Mm-hmm. So if there's anything that kind of you know uh, so like pushes the, it off on some angle, it'll align itself with it, that. It's, it's going to... Maybe because of like uncertainty, it it's not, but it's it's inconsequential. It just it's only like those major angles or well, no, it's any no. angle you measure it at. Well, sure. So it's and and the, the uh, one other way to think about it is that it's spinning on all three axes at once, mm-hmm. which is bizarre. Um, but that's just that that's just the the what we measure, and so that's. That's the where spin comes in to this really interesting domain because that's what you're doing is you're measuring against some sort of angle that you've predecided, and everything is either going to be a, on that angle or not on that angle, and it, it's on that angle or not on that angle at fifty percent. All right, so here's a question: Can a particle change its spin, or is it sure. like okay? In fact, that. Uh, we believe is um, is it when it emits something it changes its spin? Or no, it, it well yes and no. Okay. Uh, or absorb something if you put energy into the system. Right. Um, anytime anytime it interacts, it, it can it essentially changes. And this this is the explanation for uh, why you can take the polarization sheets and turn one in the middle, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it, you know now now its spin is its spin was aligned to only go. In one direction, and then you cut off the other direction with two, and so then it's nothing. Then you put a middle one in; it gets aligned with the first one, and then it gets aligned with the second one, and then it's again fifty percent to get aligned with the third oh. one. So it goes right through. And that's why it's half as dark, right? Mm-hmm. Because only half of the things going through are hitting the right criteria. So it seems to be whenever it interacts, it can it okay. it, it changes, and this is the principle. That comes behind entanglement too, because then you can... So photons have spin, I guess. Yes, they have okay. spin. All right. Every well, not every particle has spin. Higgs doesn't have spin. Damn bosons. Damn scalar bosons. Photons a boson. Okay. It has spin. It's about spin one. Just making a bad joke. <laughs> and as soon as it came out of my mouth, I'm like, oh wait, lots of things are bosons. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Um. Interesting dynamics come from the fact that that, that that spins can be in this half or one state. That bosons are all integer spins, uh, fermions are all um, half integer spin. Uh, and a graviton would have to be an a, a, a spin too. 
and that's a little bit beyond me exactly why that is, but okay. I kind of understand it. It has to do with the fact that gravity is monopolar. Wait, what? It's, it's just attractive. Oh, okay. Okay. Does it have anything to do with monopolar? Monopole no, electric not, magnetism, not, not, like not, like no no remote tie-in, no. Nobel Prize coming to someone in no. However, Dirac proved that if there was a magnetic monopole, then the magnetic field has to be quantized. Wait, but what was that? If there is a magnetic monopole yes. that exists, then the, then the electromagnetic field must be quantized. Must be quantized. Must be discrete. And we quantum. don't think it's quanta or there. No, it is. We, we believe it is. Our best description of it is oh, discrete quantum. But okay. if there are magnetic monopoles, then it has to be quantized. You can't have it any other way. I see. Well, I don't see, but it it's, sounds sounds like it checks. Yeah, it, it, it's because how do you do a magnetic monopole? How do you do a a, a charge that doesn't cancel itself out in in a field that is um, that has infinites in it? Uh, and, and there's no way to make that work. Whereas if you then quantize it, you can actually you you can do that without it um, destroying the dynamics of the field. It's complicated. Um, but yeah, this is um, the the fundamental part of of how this all works is is very cool. And when you when you get the math, it it it, it kind of the interesting thing is it falls out of the math. Um, you know, Dirac kind of found it. He sort of guessed at something, and when he did, it looked like it was correct. But then there were these weird, like, two phases to this. It, it was like there was, it, it was like it was in, um, because it was in a complex space. But it was like there was a negative and a positive version of this, and mm-hmm. so he thought it was possibly negative or positive energy. But it, no, it turns out it's just there's uh there's a there's a spin. There's another characterization of this that, that puts it in a different direction. And yeah, it, it, the the cool thing is that it falls out of the math and it, it exactly predicts how these things behave. Okay. And every time you try to make them behave classically, they don't. They behave in this quantum way. Like when you try to to nail down, okay, well, there's a way we can make this into classical. So that's, that's what Bell figured out. Uh, John Stuart Bell with his Bell inequalities, that if you measure these things right, then you should expect them, if they behave classically as we understand them, to behave in a certain way, and they don't. It doesn't work. They, they behave like exactly like the quantum mechanics says they should, which is really weird. This this sort of behaving, right. this sort of, they, they literally don't have a spin until you measure it. When you do measure it, or at least as far as, we're, as far as we know. They don't have a spin until you measure it, and when you do measure it, it is you know, it is against some angle, and it will have right. yes or no to some 50%, or, or depending on, on how you do it. It's the cosine of, of... It's this cosine of the square of the angle Okay. from the last uh, spin result. But it, it, yeah. Okay. It, it's all about probabilities again. So it's all about... Predicting the probabilities of things. All right, let's get away from particles in math for a second. Okay. Have you heard of the Gavle goat? In Sweden, there's a town called Gavle. Mm. And they have this goat. Here's a live webcam of the goat right now. It's a Christmas thing. Big straw goat. Okay, so it's not an actual goat. No, big it's straw a... goat they make every year. Okay, um, and, and I, got, I got a pee. Is it okay if you hold on to this? Yeah, I can hold on to it. Okay, because I want to hear about this. I want to hear what's special about the goat. 
It's a goat. It's a goat, baby. It's the Gavle Bakken. <laughs> All right, people. You and me right now. Let's get it on. Uh, yeah, so it's been a busy week, like I said in the pre-show with work. Uh, very satisfying week, though. Um, oh, we could talk about uh, a little more detail about uh, sample requests for beers. I haven't done this in like two years. Like, well, I haven't asked for samples. Oh, send out a little form letter. I have a script for, that works in Google Apps, a script in Gmail, which goes through a spreadsheet, which is in Google Docs, and sends out an email saying, send us beer, please, in a kinder way. It seems like we get about 10% hit rate. I have about 700 breweries in the spreadsheet where we've actually gone through and found like contact info for and then recently I was able to download like a list of almost 7,000 breweries and breweries and planning and whatnot uh, it has their website domains but not their email addresses so, I'm thinking like, huh, might as well just send emails to info at domain name, or beer at domain name. But also, you know, like Greg said earlier, it's like feast or famine when we do these um, right. media samples, right? Like, so I have to like meet. Oh yeah, have to meet her out because I just don't. I, I don't want to be that guy who asks for samples and then can't drink their beer in a timely fashion. You know, so right. and I, I, I get harder on Jeff sometimes, but he's right, he, and so I have to push him sometimes to, to get these out. Well, the thing was broken, so like I, I told these people, like it's, yeah. you know, just told the listeners, it's, it has been two years since we've done a a mailing, yeah, and uh, it broke, and I couldn't figure. It. You know, I just didn't have time to dedicate to fixing it, and then you know now our beer, our fridge was getting empty, and like well, we should do this again, and it, it took me a few a month. To, to get it working yeah. again. I mean, it works enough that we get stuff to, to, to put on the show. I, I said yeah. we get about 10% response, right? Yeah, that's, that's about right, yeah. And that um, we have 700 breweries in the, like, the curated list where we've gone through and looked for email addresses. Now, some of those are like just like the, the domain name registrar and who is, <laughs> you know, so like not great stuff. And we get tons of bounces. But I, you know, I said we have like seven thousand breweries we downloaded from the, the <laughs> brewers list. It has their website domain, but not the yeah. But who addresses. knows how many of those are like even still there? Well, that, well there's that. There's, you know, you're not going to get beer from a brew pub who doesn't package. You're not going to right almost. Yeah. It's going to be like a. a a twentieth of a percent who's going to send you a growler right. or there's something. Gonna, there's going to be plenty of people who simply ignore it. There's going to be, but there's yeah. going to be the people who are like, well, okay, either I want to get attention, or I've heard of the show, or yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't expect like Jester King's going right, to yeah. bite on our email, but you know, there's there's thousands of breweries, and there could be some really good unknown breweries. So, you know, if things go as planned over this next year. You're going to have us tasting a lot of breweries that we don't know about and you don't know about, and maybe we'll find some real gems in there. That's kind of the plan, right? That's 
we're always looking for that man that's special man that's new man that's different and remember when we had westbrook before westbrook yeah. was really a known quantity uh -huh. holy shnikes all right yeah, so that totally colored my view of gozos forever <laughs> all right so the gavla blocker yeah. gavle bakken They've been doing this goat. It's a goat, right? Yeah, it, what it is about thirty <laughs> feet tall on a steel frame, uh -huh. and they make it and they carry it through town. And uh, it's, they've been doing it since nineteen sixty six. And well, oh, so it's a really old tradition. <laughs> well, over half of the years, almost two thirds of the years, it's been burned before Christmas. Why? This vandals. Van well, yeah, vandals. But like, and then it became so, a what became a thing. Yeah. So now they have this live webcam of the goat. They don't want you to burn the goat, but they give you a live webcam that updates every ten seconds, so people can see if the goat's been burned. So, so they're they're playing on yeah. 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 One year, an American burned the goat, and he didn't know it was a crime. His like friends had told him like, oh yeah, it's tradition to burn the goat. So he like burned the goat. And he's standing there watching it burn. And he gets arrested. <laughs> he was fined like seven thousand dollars. Wow. He, but he never paid the fine. Wikipedia says. Uh, yeah, but, that does seem like the kind of thing that okay, you know, we're gonna fine you. It basically means just don't come back. <laughs> yeah. Let me let me pull up. Wikipedia has a great thing about the. Um, like year by year. Let's see if I can find it here. So and the, the immediate thing that comes to mind is Burning Man, right? Where they burn a man in the desert. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, 1966, it was burned on New Year's Eve. So it survived Christmas. The next two years, it was burned. And then the next one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve years in a row until 1981 was the first year it survived after 68 it burned every year uh or sometimes it was destroyed by vandals like in 679 the second goat of the year was destroyed and broken into pieces so in eighty one it survived. It didn't survive again until eighty eight. So it's like creative anarchy. It's weird, right? It, it's it's <laughs> what drives people to do that sort of thing. It's what, a big straw goat. To... <laughs> it's flammable. Burn that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I just don't look at the world like that. I don't know. It, it's it's weird because it, yeah, it doesn't. Last year, in 2016, destroyed by an arsonist equipped with petrol on its inauguration day, just hours after its 50th birthday party, <laughs> organizers said they would not rebuild the goat this year. It was replaced by a smaller replica built by uh, a local high school students. Uh, but, like, there's ones where, like, one year, maybe maybe it was 2016? I was reading a different story. Mm -hmm. that they had two guard. They had a guard. And they waited for the guard to go to the bathroom, and that's when they burned the goat, like that night. Now, this year, they have two guards. <laughs> so, so like, hopefully they don't go both to go to the bathroom at the same time. So they have two goats and, like, a double fence guarding the goat. Uh, I've had this tab up uh, since December 1st, and I'm, I'm, yeah, I keep checking in to see if the goat's been... And what's, what's hilarious is there's this little... You need a fucking Twitter, like... 
or, or some sort of uh, yeah, they do have mess instant message thing to like like go it looks like it might be on fire. Yeah. Well, when you first tune in, you see all these lights on the horns here, and it looks like it's oh, it's on fire. Oh no, it's not on fire. Then there's a little silhouette statue thing here in the foreground. Uh-huh. It seems like it's moving closer and it's creeping closer to the goat. And my theory is that it's it's not a statue. It's a person in a in a disguise and he's gonna burn the goat. I'm joking. <laughs> During the day you can see it's like a stone scat statue. But it seems like it's getting closer. Is it always burned at night? I don't think it's always been burned at night. I think your best odds. One year uh, a, a guy was dressed in a gingerbread costume and he had a, a bow and a flaming arrow and that's how he burned the goat. <laughs> Check out the Gavle Goat. Gavle Bakken. Do you spell Gavle? G-A-V-L-E. Okay. So there's I mean, it, 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 it's Swedish. I do yeah. not know if you pronounce that right. Gavle. Are you, you know, it's one of those things where like, before I paid attention, I thought I, I was calling it the Galv Goat. Mm-hmm. Galv, but the V's before the L, mm-hmm. so it's not Galv. It's... You never know. It might be. I mean, there's a, we've seen that weird transposition sometimes in certain <laughs> words, right? Uh, yeah, that's weird. People are weird. So the people, you know, the 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 tourist tourism bureau for Gavle, you know, it's probably love hate, right? Because I mean, how many people are watching the webcam feed? Yeah, no, it's attention. It, it's it it's the- something that 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 people know about your town. Something to give you some sort of distinction, and that's. That's better than not being known for anything. Yeah. yeah that, that, that's the all publicity is good publicity uh, type. <laughs> and why else would you have a webcam that <laughs> updates every yeah. 10 seconds? Let's see here. Um, I took a pol- one of those online political test things, like, you know, 20 questions things. Wh- which Taylor Swift album are you? No, no, no. no. It, it, it called me 33% left, 66.7% liberal. And I was like, I guess that kind of tracks, but I don't know how to tell whether... I don't see any, like, data. I don't know how this is any different from a horoscope, right? So, I... I it was... Um, it's definitely interesting because it's you know twenty years ago it would have had much different answers, but the the the, the points where I was more for liberty than simply lefty leftist causes, and it was more like I'm open to, or at least what I got out of it was like, and and part of the problem with all these with these online tests is like there are some questions they ask and you only have like two or three different ways to grade it like. Yes, for sh- like always, most of the time, neutral, none, less of the time, so, none of the time. You know, it's like, so, or, you know, disagree. It was like agree, mostly agree, neutral, mostly disagree, totally disagree. Most of the time, my answers are like, I don't know, it depends upon the situation <laughs> for, for some of these questions. So mm-hmm. it, it's hard, it's hard to. You know, it's hard to point out. But it's complicated. Yeah, you. yeah. There's no. I mean, you could do the middle one, but it felt like the middle wasn't really. It's complicated. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, what? I just wanted to pull up something and talk about what was it? Political scale. Nah. I mean, it was it. It was tangential to that, but. Liberal, left, right, 
No, it was it was it was more like online polling than was it uh Ah, my brain stopped working. I can't think of it. Uh, here's a question for you. What happens when the unstoppable force meets the immovable object? Craft uh, your radio. <laughs> okay. Um, no, you're the unstoppable force, and I'm the <laughs> easily swayed object. So, so my answer to this question was, I don't have complete information. Because I don't know whether they interact. They may very well just simply pass right through each other. <laughs> right? Why wouldn't they? Because I think it's kind of phrased that they do interact. Well, Talking about like regular matter here. Uh, no, it, it's presented as an unstoppable force and an immovable object. Neither of those describe regular matter as far as I know. Okay. Uh, I mean, the, the colloquial way of understanding that is one thing hitting another thing, and they're both... Immensely sure, strong. Sure, sure. But like, what happens when the electromagnetic force hits the neutrino? Well, nothing, because they don't interact. So, yeah, if something look, is... You're it, looking at it on a completely different Well, level I'm saying if something is literally immovable and something else is literally unstoppable, then their action would make sense in a framework where... Well, that's the, the, only, that's the, the only place where it reconciles, right? Is where they don't interact. Right. I'm with you there. That's not the spirit of the question. Well, it, but it's it's the spirit of looking outside the box for the actual answer, right? It, yeah. it, it's. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, well, sure, okay, all right. I'm with you now. The only frame where that can happen is where they don't interact. Mm -hmm. But do they meet if they don't interact? I mean, I I, think I would it, say I, no. I would say. Well, they, is meeting occupying occupying the same space? Does it does it mean necessarily interaction? It means contact. It means. Does it mean contact? Just meet. I don't think so. Well, you say like um, the waves of this thing have met the 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 extent of our antenna range, or, or the extent of our range. And you're just talking about them getting to some imaginary line. I guess. I guess. I'm just saying you can use meat in that way. Mm -hmm. So I'm not like inventing a new way of using the word meat. Sure. The, the, the problem, of course, the problem is, of course, we're using words. We're not using very strongly descriptive things. Did, did you? Yes. Yes. I won't change subject just yet. Let me pull up a web page real quick before I forget. All right. So you done with that? Or? Yeah, basically. Okay. You saw the uh, Voyager. They fired their uh, maneuvering engine. Yeah, I did see something about that. What What's that all about? Why they? Why? So thirty years, like or so. They uh, they were out of the tetrazine. So they actually had to fire a different engine. It wasn't like the main engine, but it was like oh, these maneuvering engines to. Keep the antenna pointed towards Earth. Oh, okay. And they, um, again, it's just, 
it's it's not really headline grabbing, but it, it's just another excellent example of the amazing engineering. Well, well, not just the amazing engineering, but oh, the, the, come on, what what the heck is that guy? <laughs> What's his name? Who's that guy? The the old the sixty minutes, the old CNN Cooper. Anderson, go the fuck away. <laughs> um, it's it's the fact that they they were so. I mean, he, he, the the technology at the time was kind of big and bulky, uh, and um, and redundant. Redundancy was a big thing, and I, I doubt I'm going to be able to find the the exact date or year in this in, in you know find the right article, but. It was surprising. NASA expects they will not be able to talk to Voyager One in like another four or five oh, years. Oh, only four? It was in the tw- it was in twenty twenty something. I want to say it was the earlier twenty twenties. Uh-huh. That just the antenna and the power they just yeah. won't be able to contact right. it anymore. I mean, I mean, already to to get that kind of de- uh, well, yes, to detect it, a... it's it's mind blowing. There was a great article on the, in the New York Times about a year ago. It uses kind of helical antennas. You had to do all this weird stuff. But there was a great article in the New York Times about a year ago about the staff at Jet Propulsion Lab who mans Voyager, and like how like almost everyone's retired. Yeah, yeah, right. It's it's that whole how interstellar travel exceeds the human lifespan, mm-hmm. and like they have this one like new kid, and you know she is you know 38 <laughs> and she's learning all these she's learning systems. all these antiquated systems right because she's the the person who's going to see this thing through until 2024 2025 or whenever they can't contact it anymore well you know what they could do they could get google's alpha go on it did you see the story oh, i saw the story that yeah was, that was good that's the story i will want okay, to write down cool. so okay. i'm glad you brought it back around yeah so their AlphaGo, they they repurposed it into a chess playing machine. No, no, they, they, that's they not taught the story. It, they taught it no. to play chess and for with itself. They they gave it the rules and they had it play with itself for four hours. What was that? I I thought no, I thought, I thought I thought it decided to to learn chess on its own and it was because what? No, no, Google is they they want this thing to be a thinking machine. Maybe they pointed it towards chess and like go figure that shit out, because it it learned chess, it learned a Japanese version of chess that's played on a bigger board. Uh-huh. It learned like three or four games in like in all these games, it beat with self training. It was able to beat the best, the best custom made chess mm-hmm. or the the Japanese chess on a larger board game. Uh, so I haven't read this article yet, but I did talk to um, the guy at work who's a chess guy, and he was telling me about um, the way it was working because the way it, uh, the way that um, the chess programmers that we're familiar with work is they brute force it. They, they 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 go through all the possible moves from a particular position and pick a best one and and pick a best one based on some like point structure. Whereas the the Google one was discarding things before even going well, down those. The roads. Google one wasn't given all it was given was the rules right it wasn't given like it openings learned and closing it and learned strategy mm-hmm. it wasn't given strategy not a single yeah no piece it, of it just played against itself learned strategy uh and so that that's like if i think of war games when they played 
tic-tac-toe mm-hmm. against yeah. itself, right? Uh, but so that so the yeah, the cool thing is that AlphaGo was it was discarding entire things before it even got the like the the brute force method was totally different from what AlphaGo was doing. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know what AlphaGo was doing because it's a neural network and it's all black box, but they know it was yeah. it was not like going down these routes that the other machines would go. And it was able to, yes, completely like it, it would draw most of the time, but it won like 15 or 16 out of like 100 matches. It was like a route, a total route of this mm-hmm. machine. And we've known since what? It was the 90s, I think, 96 or 97, that machines are better at chess than people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we expected that because it's a it's ultimately a solvable problem. It's it's a 64 by 64 grid, right? And there's only so, so many positions that are possible. But um, the, the, the amazing thing is, yeah, the learning machine was just able to master. And I think part of it is we have this thing in our head where chess is the is the game of geniuses or whatever. But it, like I said, it's really not. It's a, it's and it goes a, harder, right? Goes much harder because yeah. Go could. There are infinite ways you could build a Go board, but there are only you know sixty four factorial ways you can do a chessboard. So there's a limit. There's a fundamental mm-hmm. limit in chess, and there's no fundamental limit in Go. Oh, okay. I didn't. I, I barely know Go. I don't know Go much either, but I know that it's it's a harder game, especially computing wise. Mm-hmm. So they had to build a learning computer. Yeah, but I mean that, that they basically gave. Yeah, it's not like the computer decided he wanted to learn chess. They gave him the rules of chess and like, here, figure this shit out. Mm -hmm. And it figured the shit out. It beat the custom programmed chess It figured itself out by by playing against itself. And of course, you think about that, it it kept getting better and better opponents, right? Mm -hmm. And and from from what Mike told me, it, it, it only had four hours to learn. It was not a long time. Yeah. I mean... Four hours or four days, it's it's not a long time. And it was, that's that's my recollection mm-hmm. of the story. And, and it's like, wow, there's, so there, and, and the interesting thing though is that it's still a very directed program. And it's still, you know, you had to input the rules, you had to give it those stuff beforehand. Mm-hmm. It's not, it wasn't like, as far as I know, it decided, oh, let me learn all the other games you have. And it wasn't. Yeah, no, they probably gave it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. No, they, they no, they yeah. gave it the other yeah. rules, but it was able to. It was able to build its own strategies mm-hmm. for a rule set. And which is really what is really cool about that is now we could potentially, if chess hasn't been, if all the cool strategies haven't been extracted out of chess, we could learn some new ones, perhaps, mm-hmm. from from the way the computer plays. Um, and that's the cool thing about artificial intelligence is is using it as a as a way to supplement our own intelligence, not fearing that it will take over, because there's no reason to think that because it's so directed. It's always directed in a, in a particular way, and there's no way, there's no actual thinking machine that I know of that exists, or even conceptually that exists. Bitcoin's down sixteen percent today. Surprise! Surprise! Bitcoin, yeah, Bitcoin is up what to what sixty? It was it was up to sixteen grand or something. It or? hit nineteen thousand. It's down to six. It's down to thirteen three one five right now. Yeah, 
So I mean, like this is in this is in the course of a couple of days, right? It fluctuated yeah, yeah. four thousand, five thousand uh, dollars. So let's see. On December first, it was at. Don't buy Bitcoin. Ten thousand. On November twentieth, it was at eight thousand. So from the twentieth, so in ten days it went up two thousand, and then on the first it was at ten thousand. On the seventh, it was at fifteen thousand. So in five days, it went up thirty percent. Now, if you're looking at anything else that's doing this, anything else, you're saying that's a clear sign of manipulation. Yeah. So why aren't people like? Oh, I guess the the Bitcoin faithful are are you know how do you manage? But this, this is clearly being manipulated. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, don't don't get into Bitcoin. <laughs> this is this is uh, this is a scam. This website, CoinMarketCap.com, has one thousand three hundred thirty-nine cryptocurrencies tracked. Yeah, and any one could be just as valuable as Bitcoin. It's just that people have chosen Bitcoin as the one. That's that's a big problem yeah. I have. So it? Bitcoin is number one. Its market cap is two hundred twenty-two billion. Or uh, yeah, billion. Ethereum is number two. Its market cap is forty. How many billion. of those bitcoins will never be ever received? So I mean, it's like, yeah. Well, okay. So Bitcoin has uh, sixteen million seven hundred thirty-one thousand in circulation. Right. Isn't like eight million of those satoshis? I don't know how many. I don't think it's eight million. I think it's in like two. Oh, okay. Like two. But in terms of of, of stuff that have lost, yeah, there's so many. There's a large percentage of those, a, a largest percentage that is completely mm-hmm. lost. Yeah. Uh, the maximum supply is $21 million for Bitcoin. Right. And then... Inflationary currency. What a great idea. <laughs> I was trying to explain this to, to Mike because Mike was like, he, he started going on the, oh, Bitcoin. I was trying to explain to people how, no, you want to... You, you. And I was like, no, 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 no. The, the whole point is that you want to be able to increase the monetary supply when necessary because then you can control your, your currency and you can you can make it work with the other things that are happening in the world you can then use you can control the thing if you get deflation that's the worst thing possible for your currency because then you get people saving it instead of you spending it and when people save it because because this can just go up in value why would you spend it mm-hmm. so you get everybody saving it and then economic activity stagnates right because people aren't doing anything with their money so i asked you a question the other day because i don't know you know just because bitcoin was on this crazy run i wanted Mm -hmm. to refresh my memory on it and there was an article on wired about how much electricity that bitcoin's using and we talked a little bit last week because i i haven't been paying attention so i completely forgot Uh that transactions are metered were well transactions were only transacted on the milestones of solving the problem Mm -hmm. and solving the problem is also where you generate bitcoin and mine bitcoin and and so for people listening my current understanding correct me where i'm wrong i'm not a bitcoin expert but i know enough about it yeah you know as much or more than i do so you'll be able to correct me where i'm wrong but i'm trying to give a layman's explanation to listeners and that is okay bitcoin's a new thing we need to provide a reward system so people start transacting the blockchain mm-hmm. so when you s- solve the problem i don't know if there's a better word for solve the problem it's uh, uh so you have to sort of explain what this means solve the problem 
there are a bunch of people trying. So there, it, Bitcoin makes a sort of cryptographic problem, and there are it, it's a math problem essentially, mm-hmm. and there are, it's a, it's a math problem that's relatively hard for computers to solve. And it, it can increase the complexity of that based on how many computers are on the network. So it does that constantly. As it sees more and more computers and more computing power, it will increase the complexity of the problem so that there's always a steady it, – it, it's at a steady rate where this is solved. It, yeah, to. the solutions come in at about one every 10 minutes right. is, the, is what it's designed for. So you have these computers crunching away, brute forcing – trying to solve the problem and every once in a while one of your computers will solve the problem when the problem gets solved and gets verified by other computers because there's kind of a check some type right. thing in there then the blockchain blockchain gets transacted and then all the bitcoin and transactions, that's where the transactions are sort of attached yeah. so if the- i sent greg 10 bucks it's pending 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 until the first computer in the world Solves the next problem. Not until it solves, not just until it solves the problem, no. but until it solves the problem and, and decides to use your transaction that you put in. Oh, really? Because okay. yeah, because that, that's what the fees are there for. The fees okay. are there to put your your transaction higher in the queue than others. So it will go through. Ooh, I, I didn't appreciate that part of it. All right, so Bitcoin transactions could take up to ten minutes by design. Before they go through. So I want to send Greg 10 bucks. He won't get the 10 bucks. He might get it in 30 seconds. He might not get it in 9 minutes and yeah, There's a limited seconds. window of transactions too. So there's a limited space for those transactions yeah. to occur. And that's why there, yeah, you, you put the fees in so you can get. Okay. So one of the things they've done when Bitcoin was young and fresh and, and even still today is the transaction fees were supposed to be low because... The people spending all the money, resources, electricity to solve the problem Get were being rewarded with Bitcoin. That's the mining of the Bitcoin. There's 21 million possible Bitcoins. We're at 16.7 million right now. About every 10 minutes, more Bitcoin is awarded. You know, back when I first learned about Bitcoin, um, the Security Now podcast I listened to, um, Steve Gibson, the host there, you know, he... It was probably 50 at a time, right? Back it was, it, right. He fired up the Bitcoin guy, and, like, his, like, second night, he won 50 Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was worth nothing. And now 50 Bitcoin is worth hundred thousand, hundreds of thousands of on dollars. On paper. On paper. If you can get, if you can get the money out. Right. I don't know what the reward is right now, but it's less Bitcoin today. 12.5. 12.5 Bitcoin. So it goes down by half every, I think, two years or so or four okay. years, something like that. So eventually the, the rewards will stop because eventually all the Bitcoins will be mined. Right. Uh, and so then, when the rewards stop, the miners the, – so the miners are – or sorry, let's stop calling them miners. The, um, the computers, the computationers yes. – the, the computing computers, pools, really, at this point. The computing pools, they're necessary for the flow of transactions because if no one solves problems, nobody is able to transact. Mm-hmm. So, okay, there's no more Bitcoin to hand out. How do you entice the computation pools to keep transacting or keep calculating the blockchain? And that is charge fees. So when all 21 million Bitcoin are 
exhausted. It's like 2026 or something like that? I don't know. But the only income is going to be from fees. Right. And right now, it costs relatively, like, what was it, nine households worth of power. Yeah, that, that's the other to, thing about the network to, is to, that because it's because it's self-regulating, because you can – it's designed to see how much computing power is in there and make the problem harder based on how much computing power is in there. You can jump as much energy as you want into it and it will adjust so that right. it will. So like right now it might cost slow. you like eight kilowatts to mine a Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because of the scale and the distribution, you know, it's a pretty predictable algorithm. So as long as 12 and a half Bitcoin are worth more than 8 kilowatts of electricity, you're making good, right? You could literally dump the power of the sun into Bitcoin and it wouldn't get any faster. Because... You take all of, of the power of yeah, the sun, put right. that into computing, and put that into the computing, the Bitcoin right. network, and it would not get any so, faster. Okay, so okay, now we have this reward mechanism. So it makes sense to have better ASICs to do better hash calculations to get more Bitcoin and and spend all this money. Now, my question to you was, and I, I, I wasn't satisfactory, I didn't find the answer satisfactory, is, okay, imagine in 2026 when all Bitcoin are mined. So there's no reward. It's all about fees. Mm-hmm. Why can't the network make the cost to transact the blockchain cheaper? Because what's the point of making it, slowing it down and making it expensive? Why not make it extra cheap to transact the blockchain? Make it take, you know, not like you have transactions instead of every 10 minutes. Now it's happening every 10, 10th of a second. Okay. So, and then it's so it's super cheap. And then the people who are still being the mining pools. But they're not mining. The computing pools to transact the blockchain are just, you know, they're just doing bargain basement fees. You know, it's like, and, and then it actually kind of lives up to the the low fee transactions of of, you know, the promise of Bitcoin. So the the Bitcoin network is kind of all about control, and um, the because where does Bitcoin get its value from? Bitcoin gets its value from the mining pools that are there. It, uh, the, the people that are using it and the mining pools that are there, the people who are assigning value to it. Where does the U.S. dollar get its value from? It gets its value from the fact that it's a, a couple answers, right? It, it's enforced by contract, uh, you know, by, by U.S. law. It's the reserve currency of the world. It's used for, you know, purchasing things like oil and stuff like that. It, it's uh, the fact that it's tied, that, that, that it's related with other currencies in, in, a, in an overall currency market. There's a lot of different factors that give the dollar its value uh, beyond just um, the fact that it, somebody declares it has value. Mm-hmm. Uh, what gives Bitcoin its value is the fact that it's being mined. Um, and the and the amount of, of, of work that people are putting into it essentially right but that's the same as all currency i mean the, the if you just say the worth people are putting into it that that's everything you just said though. yes yes but so what i'm saying is okay do you get to the point where bitcoins aren't be mined anymore mm-hmm. now 
what is controlling the network, well, you still have people, the, the, the mining pools are the ones who are in control of the network. And if you have more than 50% of the network, you can control it as much as you want. You can make changes mm, monopoly, to the protocol sure. if you want. So there is still going to be an arms race. Uh, as long as people are subscribing, uh, subscribing value to Bitcoin, then there's going to be a kind of arms race. Right. To... If you want to win a monopoly of the transactions, so you can monopolize the the fee structure, you're going to try to put in more energy than the other guy, and the other guy's going to try to compete with you, and then you're just going to pump pump up the system. Yeah, I guess there's no there's no altruism no. in that at all. No. Okay. All right. That. That that makes a little more sense. Why the the energy costs are going to continue to be ridiculous because everyone's going to want the biggest slice. Yeah, uh, I think it was um, the Onion that pointed out. You know, now now uh, the majority of Bitcoin is the, is in the hands of just a few people, which makes it just like every other currency. <laughs> <laughs> But the thing about dollars is you can always print more. Right. One of these, I was looking at you know, this crypto market cap. Uh, or current, or, let me pull this up again. And I don't know any details about any of these, but I was looking at like price versus market cap. And one of these top cryptocurrencies only has one. One. It. One coin? Yeah. And everything's a fraction of oh. it. <laughs> okay. Everyone comes up with some weird system for their coin. There's still is Doge coin still there? Dogecoin. Uh, it is thirty ninth. It is a quarter of a penny. <laughs> it has a market cap of two hundred sixty six million, but it's worth quarter of a penny. The uh, circulating supply of Dogecoin is, Jesus Christ, 112 billion. <laughs> That's a, what's, what's the maximum? Here, let me, let me click on Dogecoin. I, I don't think Dogecoin has a maximum. There are some of those coins that yeah, don't. No, they, yeah, they, use, I, they don't use proof of work. They use some other proof, right? Yeah, I don't know. It has 112 billion circulating coins. Whereas, you know, there's like that place that has one circulating coin. Let me see if I can find that. Dash has seven point oh no, I'm sorry, that's seven that's seven million. Never mind. Where's that one that had the one circulating coin? And it was worth like twenty thousand dollars, you know, for the or no, it's more than that. It was let me see if I can see it. I don't see it. Anyway. I would say, you know, I would really, to people, don't get into Bitcoin because it's, it's uh, a big Ponzi scheme and a scam that's um, not bound by any laws or rules to keep things in your favor. And if you were, were to try to get, I don't, I don't even know where you would go to extract, if you like had 50 Bitcoins, where you would go to get that money. You'd have to find a... a um... Exchange that the would exchange sell that. that has the liquidity right. to sell it, Good and luck. they're not going to sell it until they find someone else willing to buy it. Right? right. Yeah. Exactly. That's the whole point. So uh, they're going to put it up for a bid, and someone else is going to want to buy your nineteen thousand dollar Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. 
50 of them. And that kind of, he's selling that at once that that's a big swing. In the, that's why market swings happen. That's why they yeah. swing up three or $4,000 because people are selling 50, I guess. There, there are people who are doing that. Yeah. But um, So Bitcoin Cash is, is third, and that's the fork of Bitcoin. Right. And so we're the, the weird thing about that is that if you owned a Bitcoin, you have some Bitcoin Cash too, right? Before, if you owned Bitcoin with a fork, yeah, yeah I don't, I, I think so, but I don't, I, I'm hardly, I'm, I knew nothing. It's so weird. I know nothing. So Bitcoin Cash has a market cap of uh, twenty billion, so it's about the tenth percent or one tenth of um, Bitcoin. It also has a max supply of twenty one million and has sixteen million. Yeah, it's, it's, it's basically the same protocol. I think they increase the the envelope of transactions that are available. Yeah, there's something about yeah. transactions or or um, more easily flowed through right. Bitcoin Cash. Um, what, what did I remember? I remember one of the one of the big things was Bitcoin will, will be the will be the currency we use after the apocalypse. People were like. What are you going to use to compute the fucking blockchain after the apocalypse? And then people suggested, well, we'll put a whole bunch of these micro satellites. No. <laughs> no, teeth. Teeth are going to be the currency after the apocalypse. <laughs> Who has the most teeth? I'm <laughs> ripping teeth out of motherfuckers' heads. Um, you laugh. Teeth. Well, so, you know, you know what the best comparison I think to Bitcoin is? Because I've heard the comparison. People say, well, it's like gold. But no, gold has like industrial purposes. Gold is shiny and mm-hmm. pretty. Gold you can use for anti-corrosion. Gold has you know, all types of different things you can do with it. Yeah. Diamonds. Diamonds are artificially controlled. They're actually very common. They're a very simple arrangement of carbon. You can create them yourself. They're not that difficult to create. We make better diamonds ourselves. than our, but, it's, but there's a cartel that controls them. And they've created an artificial scarcity, and they're driving at the price through things like. Uh, but know, if we go back to the Stone Age, right? Teeth. <laughs> I'm starting the teeth market. Okay. The tooth fairy. Start is, collecting now. The tooth fairy is going to be. I, I guess they'll be more rare than you might think, but I don't know how the. <laughs> um. I don't know. I, I I don't know what to tell you. I just know that 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 Bitcoin is is a scam. It's a Ponzi scheme. It's uh, that doesn't mean people aren't going to make money on it. You can speculate and get yeah. pumping. You mean get in and out. Mm-hmm. And... If you're if you're in before the dump, then you can. Make oh, money right on now it. is not a good time to buy Bitcoin. Right. Um, once it gets down to seven thousand again, if you I, think I, it's going to jump up again, I think you. As yeah. opposed to just collapse because all of a sudden, you know, just like tulips and beanie babies did. Yeah. Right? I mean, I'm we're talking a, about the same thing. I know, I know. Well, are you talking about an artificial commodity that is given value because. Well, beanie babies are controlled by a, a company can make as much as they want. Right. One company. Mm-hmm. So, diff, very different. Is it? I, I, if you're the beanie, what's no? Because there's an artificial scarcity of, of, of beanie babies because there's only as many beanie babies that are actually then produced by the company. 
right? And then you're the company who's looking at a cash cow, and you're gonna you're gonna buy six new factories in China to make baby. No, babies you're the not gonna pump out a whole bunch of if they're so valuable. You're not gonna pump out a bunch of them. You're if gonna, you appreciate gonna, that it's a fad that's gonna leave, you want to flood the market and make well. It, make the it people who are the Bitcoin faithful don't appreciate that it's a fad that's gonna leave. They they are. No, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the Beanie Babies. Oh, well, I'm talking about Bitcoin. But I don't think... That's why I don't think Beanie... Uh, the Tulips, which isn't controlled by a single company, I think is probably better than Beanie Babies. I'm trying to say Pogs and Beanie Babies. You know, if you get... It, you've gone viral, right? Right now, you're like, okay, we cash in now because this is not sustainable. But I'm also the... I control the currency mm-hmm. in Beanie Babies. Right where Bitcoin, there's no one that really controls the you, currency. You could easily well, control. Maybe I mean, the, you, yeah, easily, but you okay. could control the fifty percent cartel that has the mining right. pools might have the most control. But it's different than. And remember, the mining pools kind of work together to figure out their own. You know, there's right. an old monopoly. It's different than the person who owns the trademark on Beanie Babies. A little bit. A lot. The only difference is if you think that the Beanie Baby company thinks that oh this is gonna i can ride this for 20 years by metering out beanie babies that person needs fired because <laughs> it, it obviously it's only gonna last well that's the thing i mean there are people who like who... okay i had the trademark on fidget spinners how long uh, you know if i didn't flood the market immediately right. to yeah. suck up all the money on fidget spinners there was no point in metering that out well, I mean, once people see money like, you know, $10,000 and, and, and they, they see that people bought in at like, you know, very, very tiny, like fractions of a cent, they think, wow, I can make money by jumping in. And so there's a lot of, we're going to get a lot of that happening. But, and that's sort of sustaining. I, I can't imagine bubble, who was buying the, Bitcoin to $10,000. I can't imagine either. But I, well, I'm, I'm seeing like things of, I've I've seen like retweets of, of people, um, not like somebody was like, this guy is is actually buying Bitcoin now. And I said, well, I'm getting on the Bitcoin train now because I, because clearly it, it's it's got something behind it. I was like, oh. I, Brian Krebs, security researcher, he was tweeting this past week on this whole Bitcoin run, and he you know he's pretty skeptical about the whole thing. And one of the replies I saw that he got was, this is. Like basically, you can't use what was the thing? Okay. you can't use your current notions of what is reasonable with Bitcoin. You know, we're just getting started to fifteen grand. This thing's going up to a million. You know right. that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, it was his reply. Like you fucking, it's a market, and big numbers scare people. You know. Um, the, the thing I saw was was Mac was McAfee. John McAfee. Oh, he's still alive. He he is, and he said something super stupid. He said, "Okay, uh, this is this is the tweet. Bitcoin now at sixteen thousand six hundred dollars. Those of you in the old school who believe this is a bubble simply have not understood the new mathematics of the blockchain, or you did not, or you did not care enough to try." Bubbles are mathematically impossible in this new paradigm. So are corrections and all else. No. <laughs> You're fucking nuts. The price of Bitcoin is driven on market. Yeah. And a market is a market is a market. <laughs> has nothing There's to do no with the blockchain. There's no new fucking paradigm. It has it's, nothing to do with the blockchain. Yeah. It's a market. Yeah. And the market is 
do you have people willing to buy at the price We're quoted? We're in a big speculative bubble of Bitcoin, of housing, of of uh, other currencies right now. A bunch of currencies. I mean, the dollar. Look, look at what's going on with the stock market. It's shooting up like crazy. There's not really good reason for it. Uh, we're in a bubble right now, and that, that's going to burst, and it's going to be painful. And um, I fear what the Bitcoin du- bubble will do to people. That's only $230 billion dollars, so relatively nothing. I mean, the, the, I, I fear those people who put, you know, they're, they're putting everything into Bitcoin. You know, the people who do that. And, and so I, I feel for People them. doing that? Yeah, Sure. Because they don't understand it. They don't understand the economic theory and, and, and they're told things that, that are wrong. And they're being, you know, it's lies by like McAfee and people who say, oh, there's, there's a, bubbles don't exist in this new paradigm. This kind of bullshit. It's very similar to the quote that I saw. It wasn't from McAfee, mm-hmm. but it was probably some due to paraphrase McAfee. Right. And um, I don't see how that's true, right? Because it's, it's a market. It's... People see the it's, it's people the see that it's gone up, what twelve hundred percent? Yeah, it's me like okay, we're due for a correction, right? It's the same thing that's that that's powering every other market. It might be in an order of magnitude bigger mm-hmm. before corrections and shit happen than with the Dow Jones, but it's still going to happen. It's going to happen. These things do happen, and, and he, that was at sixteen sixty. Right now it's at thirteen hundred, and he's saying corrections don't happen. Hello. Are you paying attention to? Uh, I, I don't. I don't. You grew thirty percent in five days. <laughs> yeah, there. That's wrong. Like that's that is not sustainable. Nor is it growth that is natural. That is clearly artificial growth. Mm-hmm. Like that's clearly manipulation. And that's the thing, these, these, these pools that now are working together essentially do control more than 50% of the blockchain. They can do all the manipulation they want. As long as people are buying into its value, that's cool. And as soon as people don't, they'll abandon it. And, and uh, then you get two possible situations. You get Bitcoin dropping to zero, or you get so-called Frisbee on the roof. The Frisbee on the roof is interesting because that means... Because the thing about the competing power of the Bitcoin is... is that uh, that power is ca- is not calculated with every transaction. It's calculated, I think, every couple days. Okay, it's adjusted. And if a whole bunch of computing power is on the network and then drops off the network, you then can never get you can never get to the you'll you'll get to you'll never get to the point where you'll get to the next correction. And so you have if the computing network or the power like were to drop off by like half, or 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 even like three worse even three quarters, then you get the situation where. You're flipping a coin, hoping you solve the problem, but you're not guaranteed to ever. And even solve if you it. do, you don't. You only get to the next part. You don't yeah. get all the way to the next point where where, where the network itself. Is there will a way to to back to get that frisbee, or is it no the frisbee stuck on the roof? That's why. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's funny you mentioned that. I was just like war gaming, like how long until, like it makes sense. You know, it's if you can find cheap energy. Yeah, like you right? get geothermal right now. Geothermal, next door. I mean hydro. Mm-hmm. Hydro's pretty cheap. 
But like, oh, I'm thinking like you talk about the micro satellites and stuff. Like, well, if you could get up in orbit and get some good, you know, solar. solar yeah. <laughs> like, so how long until you have your first mining pool in orbit? When you said it 15 minutes ago, it seemed ridiculous, but. It depends on how that price structure works on <laughs> compute power, you know, and if you can get some good, yeah. good solar up there. I get, but the price to launch is so much, right? You got to think that the desert's a better place to get solar than <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you don't know how long a satellite you can't repair a satellite easily. You can repair so you know solar panels on the ground at least. It's pretty predictable. I mean, well, if you're doing cheap mining satellites, it might be have a high failure rate, so that'd be rough. I'm thinking of like communication satellites, you know, satellites yeah, right. that cost, you know, more than half a million or half a billion dollars, right. you know, that kind of <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, no. Um, you've, you remember that, you know, if you, if you dumped a whole bunch of someone, in fact, what, what could happen, you could easily, I could easily see this happening. Let, let's, that's let's, the problem. Well, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that's the problem. You launch a satellite with a certain ASIC. And then three days later, a better ASIC comes out, and you're not competitive. Let's and say it's, it's up in orbit, you know. Let's say some government, be it China, be it the U.S., be it whatever, decide they want to shut down the Bitcoin network. Uh, there, we have to, we're talking about a big government now, so a government that has a lot of computing power at its disposal. It could put its power on the network, cause it to spike up, and then drop its power off the network, yeah, immediately we... causing a frisbee on the roof once it, once the network changes, and they could. Totally destroy Bitcoin just by doing that. Done. <laughs> All in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. <laughs> it's an interesting thought. Yeah, it's yeah. a good way to castrate Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. I mean, so if the governments really wanted to stop it, they could. That's fucked up. I mean, it's not fucked up. It's just... It, it's interesting. It's cool. It's... So where we are today? I told Greg, you know, he had that bet with Damien where, what was the bet on? The bet was on whether the iPhone would, the iPhone, the new iPhone would have uh, Touch ID or not. Okay, you won that. I won that. So Damien has to eat a bug and you don't have to buy Bitcoin. Right. And I'm like, I told Greg earlier in the week, I'm like, it would have been the best bet you ever lost if you had to buy Bitcoin because you could sell it right on, could have sold it on Thursday and, and at least made 30%. I don't know. I, I don't know when I would have actually bought it. Damien still hasn't eaten his bug. You know, I'm not, not like pushing him on it. So it's just, you know, whenever it happens, I don't think he would have been like, you got to buy Bitcoin now, man. Um, don't buy it right now. I'm not buying it right now. I, I was only gonna. It wasn't it wasn't like I would buy a bitcoin. It was I'd buy twenty dollars worth. I know, of but you could have got a nice dinner out of that if you had bought it a month ago. And I would have been able to get the money, right? I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. I got a piece. So we're gonna wrap yeah. this up. All right. Yep. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.